love this podcast, support us by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the link in the episode description to support us now. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. End scene. Thank you. Thank you. It's interesting that that's the line that you would pick. Um, I prefer Lady Macbeth and her monologue. Which one? Out, out, down the spot. That one. That's a pretty good uh, one. Yeah. It's such a it's such a good monologue, and uh, you know the the peeping toms just there being so judgmental. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> so she committed some. What is it? Regicide. Yes. Who hasn't? Exactly. Hey, like they say in Macbeth, what's done is done. Also, some famous lines from Macbeth include, by the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. And double, double toil and trouble. Fire, cauldron, boil and bubble. Most of these Shakespeare plays that were written many, many, many moons ago have some lines that kind of stick. And although there aren't as many from Macbeth as, say, some of his, you know, lighter works or his other tragedies the tragedy of Macbeth I think is one of the most powerful works that Shakespeare whoever this Shakespeare person was created and I'm super excited to be talking about just some of the cinematic translations of this text onto screen so yeah we're talking about Macbeth I am Nicole and I'm Rolando and this is remakes reboots and revivals an original podcast about Unoriginality. Before we get into Macbeth, just a reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, to please find us on Apple iTunes. Uh, find us on Apple Podcasts and give this podcast a five-star rating and write a quick review and let us know what you think. And we'll be sure to read it on the air because we appreciate all and every feedback we get. Yeah, so we're not joined by Eddie Z. He's, you know, he's not a Shakespeare fan. He's more of a Francis Bacon fan. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. That's so shady. Nah, he's working today. He, he can't join us because of work. He actually, I mean, he... We talked. We actually got into a discussion about Macbeth, actually, because we have different interpretations of it. Because, I mean, let's be real. Macbeth is something that most people have read in high school, right? Like, this is not, like, this text is not something that is uh, not, not, is that not true? You made a face. Like I didn't read it in high school. I, you didn't read it in high school? I read three Shakespeare plays in high school. I read Julius Caesar, Ju- Hamlet, oh. and Romeo and Juliet, yeah. We read Julie. We no, we didn't read Julius Caesar. We did uh, Romeo and Juliet, and Hamlet, and also Macbeth. Oh wow! So your teacher optioned for Macbeth over Julius Caesar. Oh, Julius. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But I mean, Macbeth is a way better. I don't know. I, I mean, Macbeth Julius Caesar is pretty good. <laughs> no, but uh, Macbeth does Julius Caesar have a. Uh, very very sinister female lead. Uh, female no. no. Yeah, that's the thing. So I and I have to assume that's the reason why 
this teacher. I can't remember which professor because they. Uh, I read those all three different years, but whichever one did, I had to write a paper on Lady Macbeth and why she is one of the best characters in literature. She oh, is interesting. Yeah. Oh. So I I have a fascination with Lady Macbeth. I think she's such a fascinating character because. Well, I mean, we're getting right into it, but I'm just saying. So, okay, never mind. So I take that back. Maybe not everyone has read Macbeth in high school, but I feel like a lot of people have read Macbeth in high school. Yeah, well, Macbeth is at least one of those that its reputation precedes it. Um, even if you haven't seen it, you kind of you know the story or the tone of it and that it's one of the darkest Shakespearean plays. And did you know that it's his shortest tragedy? Some of his plays were really, really long, and things like Henry VIII and Richard III, really, really long pieces. Um, Macbeth is only a tragedy in five acts, which is relatively short. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, and um, it's also, there's a lot of superstitions around this play, uh, especially when it comes to actual theater. But some people think it translates into cinema as well. Uh, Some say that even to utter its name in a theater will bring doom to your production. The legend goes that the witches, real witches, were angry that Shakespeare used, like, actual, like, curses. Like, you know, like, spells and stuff mm-hmm. in his text. And therefore, they put a curse on this on this play. Well, look at so, that. And it's performed. It's all, obviously, hocus-pocus nonsense. But that is where this urban legend comes from. Because that whole double-double toil and trouble, all those spells are supposedly real spells and uh, witches were very angry that Shakespeare even dared share them on the stage. <laughs> I mean, Hey, I believe it. So, and he does also, he, well, I believe that they were angry. It's like, what the hell is this guy's problem? Also the way he portrays, witches is not very nice. This is stuff that I learned in high school, but also I had a refresher online. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of the reason that you, he portrayed witches Actually, that witches are so prominent is because the king at the time was obsessed with the supernatural. He was just trying to appease the king, who was one of his biggest benefactors to the to the stage plays. Uh, and actually, I think his name was I think it might have been King Richard. So I think that was James Stewart. It was James okay, Stewart. King of James, okay. So all right. So he uh, he was obsessed with uh, with witches to the point that he actually published a book on witches. Uh, like a demon, a demonology book, and uh, that's where kind of a lot of our lore on witches and like fairies, all that kind of stuff, all comes from a king because he was just obsessed with like that supernatural stuff, and as yeah. a result, it kind of took over. Yeah, I'm so happy you brought that up actually, because in this was, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when, but they say that it was first produced in 1606 at the Globe Theater. And around 1603, I believe Queen Elizabeth, uh, she she died. And mm-hmm. she didn't have the, the crown, so the throne was passed to James Stewart. And he was the King of Scotland, and a lot of people were kind of shocked by that. And James Stewart himself was a controversial figure. And he uh-huh. had, like, assassination attempts on him, like, two years into his his hierarchy or his rule. So everyone was kind of talking about that. And also people were kind of like, oh, how did the King of Scotland get it? So this was kind of like a politically contemporary fresh thing for Shakespeare to write a play about, which is kind of juicy. Well, that's why that's why Banquo, Banquo, Mm -hmm. Banquo. uh, That's why he is. So (laughs) 
or, or we don't we we know where Macbeth the source material comes from, right? We know Macbeth was a real, in fact, a real king. Uh, obviously, Shakespeare took liberties in delivering this play, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Banquo is believed to be part of. I don't think like an assassination actually happened, but you know, Shakespeare needed to like actually like deliver some drama. So, in realistically, I think Shakespeare had initially planned on having Banquo and Macbeth together, like doing the assassination type. However, because of James, King James, mm-hmm. and his lineage. He had to make kind of Banquo kind of not a bad guy. So therefore, Banquo never really took play, took part of those murders. And even though he was never a king, he was still the uh, the one who produced a lot of future kings, including King James himself. Or so the legend goes. Wow. Look at this. Look, right. Listen to the history lesson we are giving you guys today. I Isn't know, right? Exciting? Who, who would, well, Macbeth, like I said, Macbeth is a fascinating story. I mean, without a Macbeth, I don't think you would get like a Game of Thrones Oh, no, absolutely. I think Macbeth's one of Shakespeare's absolute strongest pieces. I think it very much holds up today. And I think that the themes at the core of this story are just some of the most important themes that you can explore when telling a story, right? So the themes range from morality and politics to ambition and power, Mm -hmm. corruption, and yeah, and to me, corruption of power, like I, I've said in multiple episodes, it's just, if you tell a story about that, you have my heart. I love that because power absolutely corrupts. And I think for me, one of the the new readings I've had into it as of late because of, uh, I don't know, just life, <laughs> um, it's, I never realized like how much of shake, uh, how much of Macbeth was kind of uh oh what's that term not manifest destiny right like it's what's that terminology it's like when you when you a self-fulfilling prophecy right mm. because when the witches give him uh the news that he will be king that kind of sets off all these things that like well all these things that happen were they really out of free will or were they because he believed them so hard and therefore he had to like manifest things to like kind of go a certain way right and that's where I think Lady Macbeth plays such a pivotal role, obviously. So. She does, yeah. And that's, yeah. And it's like the idea of inception, you know, planting a seed in someone's mind and seeing how far it can it can go. It's interesting. So let's at least give a summary of what Macbeth is, right? And Sure. As simple as it is, three witches tell the Scottish general Macbeth that he will soon be king of Scotland. Encouraged by this prophecy, Macbeth... And by his wife, Macbeth kills the king, becomes king, and gets more and more paranoid and greedy with power and starts to kill and slowly kind of lose his mind. Civil war erupts to overthrow him, resulting in more death and ultimately his demise. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what Macbeth essentially is. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's his rise and it's his fall. And that's why it's the tragedy of Macbeth or the Scottish play, as they say. So that's the plot. We got Macbeth. We got Lady Macbeth. We got Banquo. We got the witches. We got Duncan, we Duncan. and his sons. Uh, we have Macduff. We have Macduff. And who is that character whose name I can't remember? That's kind of like plays loyal servant. Who is loyal servant to D- uh, Duncan then plays loyal servant to Macbeth, but really yeah. is not. His name is Ross. Just Ross. Ross. Just like, like Ross, Ross and Rachel. France. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So these are the main characters of Macbeth. And 
we talked a lot about the history of the play and whatnot, but why we're really here is to talk about the film adaptations. Um, and there have, have been quite a lot. If you've listened to episodes where we tackle huge literary works with lots of adaptations, I'm thinking when we tackled uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, um, there's so much that we really can't cover all of it. So we're going to kind of pick and choose what we think are some of the more interesting ones that we divulged in. Um, but I do want to share that Macbeth, you know, one of the earliest adaptations in cinematic history was as far back as 1908. Uh, there, was, there was another silent film in 1916. But aside from that, we didn't really get that many more movie adaptations until 1948, which is actually a really pivotal year because two really important Shakespeare adaptations came out, one of them winning Best Picture at the Oscars which was Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. And mm -hmm. if you watched Orson Welles' Macbeth, which came out in 1948 as well, and the one we're going to obviously be talking about, um, the two films couldn't be more further apart. It's like stage on screen when it comes to Laurence Olivier's, and the, the camera is pretty static most of the time, and it's focusing more inwardly, whereas Orson Welles just went full fucking expressionistic with his adaptation of Macbeth on film. And I also want to say that Orson Welles, before he was a filmmaker, was a theater producer. But also Orson Welles put on a production of Macbeth in 1937, I believe was a year, on the New York stage, called it Voodoo Macbeth, and it you know took place mm -hmm. in the Caribbean and whatnot. And uh, it was supposed to be brilliant. He also did a really, really famous uh, portrayal of, of production of Julius Caesar where he made it more politicized and had them all in like trench coats and it was contemporized and whatnot. But oh, okay. apparently, too, he ordered for his castmate to do a voodoo dance on a theater that reviewed them really badly and that theater critic died two days later. <laughs> so that's like <laughs> a, a folklore against that voodoo Macbeth. Another urban legend. Another urban legend. I would legend. totally see a Voodoo Macbeth. Right? I mean, it would be pretty damn interesting. He made it at a uh, studio that was kind of a B-movie studio at the time, Republic Pictures. And he had less than a month to do it. And he was given old Western film sets to make it on. And he kind of took what he had and he worked it to his advantage. He really, I think, used the scenery that he had to work with in a very interesting way it felt more expressionistic where it's like you're in this brand new world you're not in reality anymore you're in mm. a cinematic landscape um and you know he, he puts his camera in really interesting angles and and he's got you know like wind going off and all of these things that just make his frames way more engaging uh Obviously, when I say wind, he's got like fans going on the side, mm -hmm. you know, going like thousand miles per hour and stuff. So it's just, it, so that's the first film I want to talk about is the Orson Welles adaptation. Also, this was a complete flop when it came out. The Hamlet one was a complete success. Obviously, it won Best Picture, and this was a right. flop. Um, it just did not make the money that they were expecting. But of course, Orson Welles went and continued to make more adaptations mm -hmm. of Shakespeare's work and stuff. No, he made more adaptations of Shakespeare. Yeah, he did Othello in 1951. Oh, okay. Um, I actually think I've seen that one. Oh, yeah? Really? Mm-hmm. Tell me about Orson Welles' Macbeth. Did you watch it? Yes. And did you like it? No. Why not? Eh, I'm indifferent. I actually, you know what my biggest beef with it is? Mm -hmm. It was the monologuing happened as voiceover. And I had, I think, a big issue with that because 
as we know Shakespeare, he loves his monologues and soliloquies are a real thing that can get adapted on the stage, right? When we just have a character kind of just talking, speaking whatever's on his mind, even though he's not speaking into the characters, right? That's mm-hmm. a big thing in Shakespeare. Uh, Orson Welles decided to turn those into internal monologues. So we just hear their thoughts. I think that is just a missed opportunity because part of the whole reason of acting out as Macbeth is those monologues. Okay. Fair point. And I think that for me, that's a very, very big minus. Visually, gorgeous film. Uh, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And I think the... Uh, the use of shadow and like contrast. It was just, just, it's a gorgeous film. Yeah. So it's interesting because I agree with you that it is a visually stunning film, but I think that's why it works because to me, that's what's most important. I think, you know, right. people can and- adapt, like he's adapting it. He's making it into a movie. So he's going to make some choices as long uh-huh. as, you know, like to me, was it competent? Yes. It's incredibly co- uh, competent filmmaking. And, you know, his choices that he made were different than how a typical Shakespeare one would go, but it still worked. So it's I interesting that why you didn't like it is the reason I thought it actually made it a good film. Oh, interesting. No, yeah. So, But you and I have this big disagreement, right, where you think visuals are king of when it comes to filmmaking. And I think it's character and story more so than anything, it, like king. And... Uh, you know, it's just our different. Yeah, we have very different of opinions on and this. just uh, insulting all experimental filmmakers out no, there. No, I actually that. think I think experimental <laughs> has a place, and I think experimental has. You're, but you're putting the hierarchy of narrative over experimental, saying that character and narrative is. But king. yeah, because there is, but it's a narrative film like this is a narrative film but maybe. where you didn't explicitly say narrative film you said what were what's king in film and what's king in cinema oh well is yeah well that's the thing. but that's the thing. since this is a story though like story has to be first and foremost i think i disagree <laughs> i think know? story has to be first and foremost in literature i think visuals along with other stuff is what's because that's what makes it a goddamn film is the way it looks and the way it feels Right, because I mean, the otherwise like you is, might as well watch nice. it on the stage or read a book. But then for that, I might as well just be listening to a radio show too, because exactly like, it's just the internal. But no, I'm just saying it's just like the internal monologuing kind of takes it's such a big chunk of the acting here, right? Oh, you're, so you're I, saying I'm for saying this. shame, yeah. shame on Orson Welles not to figure out. It's just like all right, you're already you're doing dismissing so much expression. No, the most he's important doing so much, part of it, but which he's is the visual such an expressionistic <laughs> thing. It's just like all right, so then just go that extra step and just do the monologues. Is it that, or I think honestly, Orson Welles just can't hack it as an actor. I actually don't like him either as uh, in Citizen Kane. So, like, this is not coming from like a. I just, yeah. you know, I don't think he's a good actor. I, I don't. I mean, I won't come here and defend that he's this great actor because, like, what he is really good is, you know, behind the camera. Uh, so, and I also think that his accent at times was a little much. Um, mm-hmm. But. So I'll give you that. But other than that, I think that the most important thing is just how beautiful this film is and how, I mean, the opening with the witches is is just stunning and it's fucking creepy. And it's, mm-hmm. it's 2022 and I'm creeped the hell out by this 1948 movie. It like, the again, what I also think, you know, visuals, tone, atmosphere is really important when you're watching a film. The tone that he immediately sets up, it's, it's dark, it's protruding and it's really creepy. And I think he very successfully does that. I do think to me, what I feel like doesn't work 
is kind of some of the characterizations in the acting. Um, I do find it not dated, but also just kind of in a way too staged. Like the yeah. Like I don't I don't know if, if I'm watching a film. I prefer it to be like more to film acting. I don't really want it to feel like I'm watching a stage and their accents. You know, I could that kind of took me out of it. Um, oh, yeah, I wasn't feeling Lady Macbeth to be honest. Lady Macbeth was merely okay. Jeanette Nolan, um, and that's the thing too. Like Lady Macbeth is fucking. You know, she's sinister and she's 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 cunning. She's slithering. She's cunning. Yeah. Um, and I just I really want my Lady Macbeth to be like everything that I I dream she is, or at least that she's told to me in the play. And she was a bit of a letdown, you know. But I mean, she was a little. I think her performance was a little too aristocratic, right? Where Lady Macbeth, yeah, of course she's aristocracy, right? She she was a thane's wife uh, and a general's wife, but um, let's not forget, like she wants more, you know. She she she's like I don't know, she's scrappy. She's a very scrappy, <laughs> uh, you know. Lady Macbeth is scrappy. I didn't get the scrappiness out of this. You know, she basically, I mean, let's be in the play. Lady Macbeth calls, basically calls Macbeth a pussy. He's just like, why are you having doubts on murder? Like, just do it, you fucking bitch. Like, that's what she says in old English, obviously. It was so true. Like, rewatching some of the Macbeths, just hearing some of her lines. I'm like, oh, I know this bitch and I know what she's saying to him, you know, and I just love it even more because she pretty much is just like also towards the end when he's going like kind of crazy. And mm-hmm. she's like getting embarrassed. I love that shift because it's like, oh, great. I kind of did this and this kind of sucks. And this is kind of my fault because I was cunning and ambitious, but whatever. Right. Which is, I think, another interesting play here because I think on the stage. All right. So I haven't actually seen Macbeth on stage. I've only seen the real, my real experience of like closest to stage would be Sleep No More in New York City which is this kind of like performance art piece in the city where the entire building is kind of set up to be different levels. It's kind of contemporary, but we're watching, you're following actors around however you please to, and as a reenact scenes for Macbeth, kind of like ghosts in this figure, right? So, you know, the sleep no more part of that, the whole reason that that line comes from this idea that like, because of the guilt that is wrought upon Lady Macbeth and Macbeth themselves, like they're kind of cursed to just not be able to really get a good night's sleep anymore. They kind of sleepwalk. And we witness in Lady Macbeth, one of those great scenes where she actually is sleepwalking and like kind of trying to give her to the spot. Right. So they took that and they kind of turned it into like a live performance where we get to see all these actors and stuff reenact scenes uh, while you're following them around. Right. There's no, rhyme or reason how you watch it you're just watching these actors live their lives and uh it's an interesting performance but i think one of the interesting parts that i remember seeing there was kind of the way they took lady macbeth where she wasn't guilt she wasn't guilty about how macbeth was behaving she was Mm. embarrassed and kind of just like again get it together man like we did this and we're gonna but look at us we're in power now yeah 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 you know uh, she's kind of heartless, a little she bit is. heartless. Yeah. Uh, sure. But then we realize that, like, she obviously her conscience does manifest in the form of sleepwalking, right? So not in her waking life can she be guilty, but like in her sleeping world, that's where she, <laughs> uh, that's where all this guilt comes from. Yeah, 
you can push it down no matter how hard you try, but it will always come up, whatever, you know, you're not dealing with. Mm-hmm. At times, I, it doesn't work for me because I'm like, I don't know, evil people, man, they don't feel guilt. They don't feel that. Sometimes I, that part of Lady Macbeth becomes almost too moralistic to me, where it's just like, oh, we're supposed to walk away from this moral, but I guess well, that's yeah, just... But- it's madness. She ends up getting consumed by madness. And I think, I don't think, yeah, I actually think like billionaires, for example, mm-hmm. are, I think, I think if you, if you live your life with privilege, I think it's uh, easy to assume that like, yeah, they're never going to feel guilt for like the way they treat humanity. But if you're someone who started off as a, a millionaire and worked your way to become a billionaire i think that guilt will eventually i mean look at howard hughes he went crazy true and he i'm sure he did a lot of evil terrible things to become one of the richest men of his time yeah i don't know if you know his guilt is why he went crazy but for sure i mean i I think i think it manifests in different ways (laughs) (laughs) but i guess we got lost uh back to this film no i thought I, i i thought it was i thought it was visually i think it was uh visually wonderful film to look at but for me visuals is not all i think it's important right that's not i'm gonna i wouldn't dismiss this film but um just those those voiceover was driving me a little mad to the point where i'm just like ugh, you know orson you couldn't just get another actor to just read me some shakespeare yeah well you know it's interesting because when this film came out it was overwhelmingly uh jeered at you know it was very negative uh and wells himself was never really like oh this is my best movie like he wasn't even as proud of it as some of his other movies um and he even said you know i think he 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 went out to kind of make an experimental take on it more of Mm -hmm. like a bride of frankenstein-ish macbeth um and i think that that angle that he was going for really does work for it there is something kind of twisted about this macbeth but there's something kind of twisted about macbeth in general and i think his approach really did work for it yeah. And yeah, and it also felt very, if you've ever seen silent films, German expressionist silent films, this feels very much in tune with those. I'm thinking, you know, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Metropolis, just some of the most interesting films that were ever made in the early 20th century over in Germany. If you enjoy this Macbeth, you should watch those films. Or if you enjoy those films, you should watch this film because they're kind of hand in hand. And I think expressionism on cinema is just one of the best fucking things. So uh, I once I once pitched to a pharma brand. It was like a sleep medicine. I pitched them. It's just like, why don't we do this as German expressionists, right? Like all like the fact that she can't sleep, right? Let's like let's go German expressionists. And I was quickly turned down. <laughs> And I was like, you cowards. This would have been great. This could have been on TV. It was too artistic for them, Rolando. It was absolutely too artistic. But I think it would have been super cool to do like a... Imagine seeing a pharmaceutical ad that's a German expressionist. I that like, actually, yeah. I feel like then you would want that disease just to be part of that cool ad, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm with <laughs> you, but, you know, people can't handle it. They can't. Uh, cowards. One of the films that I want to talk about, one of the film adaptations that's considered to be among the best of adaptations of Macbeth is a Japanese film from 1957 by uh, Akira Kurosawa called Throne of Blood. The um, If you were to actually translate the Japanese title, it would be like the Spiderweb Castle. Um, mm, that's yeah. a way better title. Right? Which is a little, you know, but whatever. We got to anglicize everything. And... Kurosawa was a huge Shakespeare fan. He also he 
adapted many works of writers. One of his favorite was Dostoevsky. He did a version of The Idiot. Um, he did an adaptation, The Lower Depths. For Shakespeare, he also did... Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like up in the air whether or not it was actually Hamlet, but he kind of contemporized Hamlet in a film called The Bad Sleep Well, which is really bleak and wonderful. And then yeah. he did King Lear in 1985 with Ron, his film Ron. Yeah, well, that sounds like the argument that people make about The Lion King. Like, The Lion King is kind of like Hamlet. Yeah, like, seriously. Kinda. Well, according to that trivia question, it was Disney's first original film. <laughs> right. Right. I remember. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a... I was just like, that's a lie. <laughs> sorry that's that's a personal thing but um throne of blood was his first and this was made in 1957 right after the success of seven samurai throne of blood stars toshiro mifune and uh izu yamada in the main lead roles based on macbeth and lady macbeth it translates the shakespeare play from medieval scotland to feudal japan Mm. instead of it being three witches they just come across an evil spirit on their way to the spiderwebs castle who you know is is pretty much spinning a yarn and predicts his future to him, and oh, um, that's cute. It's yeah, no, yeah, it's it's super cute. <laughs> Kurosawa himself loved to use weather in his films to evoke atmosphere, which is also why I you know I'm with Kurosawa in the sense where you got to make things kind of like always happening and set a tone in an atmosphere. So mm-hmm. his films are either set in the extreme heat with characters constantly fanning themselves. Or it's really windy and everyone's just like being like blown away and you see it on their clothes and in their hair or there's just fog everywhere or there's just rain. Anything that you can imagine that could be happening in the background is always happening in a Kurosawa movie. Okay. And um, in this film, there's just, I can't even, I don't even know where to begin. This is one of the most just breathtaking films it's not even one of my favorite kurosawa films and yet Mm. i encourage all of our listeners if you've not seen it to go and see it uh mainly because of the depiction of lady macbeth i think that is is this a good depiction of lady macbeth i can't tell you how good is you yamada's performances as the lady macbeth character i was gonna ask what makes it like what do you think makes it a good performance right so she's still for most of the time um she just looks forward. She doesn't even like it sometimes looks as if she's not blinking and he's kind of like walking. He like running all around her. You know, he stands up, looks down at her and yet she has all the power by sitting still. Sometimes I think it takes a couple of scenes for her to even look up at him in the eye. There's so much going around, right? Kurosawa uses weather and he uses the atmosphere to kind of like convey the mood. And you got the Toshiro Mifune character who's clearly kind of like freaked out about this prophecy about, of, you know, that the evil spirit told him and he doesn't know what to do. And she's just still sitting there telling him what she has to do and the murder that she, he, he has to commit. And that kind of power, you know, that she evokes within that stillness and that coldness and her evilness is just absolutely stunning. Um, I think that decisions like that, Chris was really good with making his characters or his actors do body movements, you know, so like you could always identify it with them. Uh, like one of the big things is in Yojimbo he's kind of always playing with his shoulders you know Mm -hmm. and that's like the character's thing and it it gives you the sense of who he is just by doing a body movement Um, her thing is that she doesn't fucking move and she's the most powerful person in the room right and it's so it's just like little things like that Um, and then at the end it just war gets declared on his castle and the absolute brilliance of 
the stunts that they do with all these mm-hmm. arrows being flown at Toshiri Mifune and you know obviously Macbeth dies so I'm not really spoiling anything when I say that he gets impaled <laughs> by an arrow directly in his neck and you watch the arrow enter his neck it's one of the most stunning tricks ever done on film and you watch him die that way I mean it's just I those are just the things that I want to highlight what works about this film but also like seeing an adaptation of Macbeth translated to feudal Japan is also just like how are you not sold like yes, it's, but it's did it have a Burnham Wood coming to the feudal castle yeah it's all it's pretty much it's all there it's pretty much it trans- okay, so they, it's translated differently but all of the stuff is there yeah I mean, I'm okay with uh, translation. So interesting that you should mention, right? Uh, setting Macbeth in feudal Japan, right? Because I think that's the beauty of Macbeth. It does lend itself to be adapted in any situation, which is shocking to me in doing my research that there's just not a lot of contemporary takes on Macbeth, right? I think the closest that we have to a contemporary original take is one it's called Scotland PA, which apparently is a fast food restaurant thing. And I'm like, yep. okay, that could be interesting. Uh, I haven't seen it. Have you? No, I didn't get to see it for this. I wanted to. It sounds interesting. It stars Christopher Walken, though. That could be a red flag. So. It stars Christopher Walken? <laughs> well, he's in it. He may not be the star, but he is Lieutenant McDuff. So he's a major character. Uh, but yeah, I've I've never I've never I've never seen it, but uh I I I was saying it was just like I'm shocked that there's just not a lot of like 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 you just take the plot of Macbeth. It's a very solid plot. Like it's something that we've all seen, like, right? Ambition being the downfall of a person. It's really simple. And then all you have is this cast of characters who are just trying to just get ahead of him before he just takes things too far. You know? I mean, Macduff yeah. loses his entire family and stuff. Uh like you could have turned I mean, honestly, the uh, many things in Newark should have just taken the plot and just said, <laughs> There you go. Repackaged it in the 1970s and been like, all right, cool. Now I'm watching like a real mob movie here. This is true, yeah. Um, Missed opportunity. I'm always going to complain about about uh, many things in Newark. I think that the 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 superstitions that surround Macbeth, people kind of take seriously, and there is something that like most versions of Macbeth have flopped, right? The Orson mm-hmm. Welles movie kind of flopped. Roman Polanski did a version in 1971, uh, which I don't think you watched. But, I don't think so. Uh, oh wait, maybe I see it in school. I remember I saw Roman Polanski. Oh God, he did Joan, Roman s- Julia, right? No. Did wait? He did, did Rosemary. Franco Zeffirelli made the film adaptation of Romeo and Juliet in 1968. Are you talking about the one with Leonardo DiCaprio in 1996? No, God, no. Not okay, yeah, the, no. Franco Zeffirelli did the 68 one, but uh, one. Roman Polanski did Rosemary's Baby, and he followed up Rosemary's Baby with Macbeth. So a lot of violence and nudity. If you watch that in school, I'd be mm, shocked. I don't think I. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, that was also kind of a flop. You know, five years ago, they had a version of Macbeth with um, Michael Fassbender, and it flopped. Yeah, I didn't even... I never even heard of it. Mm-hmm. And I like Michael Fassbender. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the Macbeth that we're going to be talking about soon that just came out is not a complete flop is kind of a shock because I feel like Macbeth is kind of... has that bad, you know, reputation. But maybe the spell that the witches did back in the early 1600s you know maybe it's been broken i mean i don't think a spell can transcend like mediums right like i don't think witches knew that film was going to be a thing but maybe they did who knows 
Yeah, maybe. Who maybe, knows? Maybe they had the power <laughs> premonition. Uh, yeah, no. Tragedy of Macbeth. You want to kick things off? Cheshire Macbeth is the new film by Joel Cohen. Not Ethan Cohen, so it's not a Cohen Brothers film. Uh, I think Ethan was just not interested in doing it. It's been written for the screen and directed by Joel Cohen, <clears throat> produced with him and his wife, Frances McDormand. Oh, wait, Frances McDormand is his wife? Yeah, that's why she's like in practically all the Cohen Brother movies. I actually, I just assumed they just liked working with her. I didn't know that she was they were married. No. Nepotism at its finest. They've been married since uh, the nineties, at least. Oh. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a pretty straightforward, truthful, not really doing much in terms of adapting it. Uh, ad- adaptation of Macbeth. You know, it's not contemporized. It. Very much, you know, it's interesting because we talked about the Orson Welles Macbeth and I talked about the Curacao with Throne of Blood. And I think that Treasury of Macbeth is inspired by both those films. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, I see, I saw the resemblance with the original. With uh, the, Orson the, original, the Orson Welles. Orson Welles. Absolutely. Um, I think the approach that Joel Cohen took was incredibly cinematic in the sense where he also made it expressionistic he had no time for making sense of his sets you know like the way that the sets work does not fucking matter and that's one of the best parts about this movie is that gorgeous yeah i mean the set design of this is top notch yeah like god you know be damned if i know how the blueprint of this fucking house or this world works but oh it's just so stunning to look (laughs) in and you know everything is uh unreal in the sense where some of these doors are just really really huge and the shadows just cast really dark large large shadowies and though and even at the end right when uh mick not yeah when mcduff when they're fighting in the in like his, the king's chamber, and then like when we see like the profile shot, though it's like the forest is outside, right? And it's just like that yeah. makes literally no sense. No sense. Yeah, it's all. This is a movie that is all style, some substance. Well, it's it's if you think that there is substance to the story of Macbeth, because this is a pretty faithful adaptation. I guess I'm talking about the substance of the performances here. So. Let's talk about then the big thing because we've already praised the stylistic decision that Joel Cohen took, which also I saw this at home, but I just got myself surround sound and I was not prepared for how much I would be enjoying the sound of this movie. I was prepared for it to be visually stunning, but Mm -hmm. holy shit, listening to that in my surround sound was such a treat. I was really impressed with the sound design of this film. Um, yes. it was absolutely fantastic. And if you have a surround system at your home, or if you have the chance to see it in the theater, because you don't have that, fucking really listen to this film. Watch it, but also listen, which is also one of the most important things about a film, which is what makes a difference is the way it sounds and the way that it designs the sound. Um, yeah, I would agree. And yeah, this d- absolutely did a great job. So anyway, sound is great. Visuals are great. Let's talk about performances. Let's talk about performances. Lord Macbeth is Denzel Washington, and Lady Macbeth is Frances McDormand in this film. Okay, take it away, Rolando. I want to hear your thoughts. I could not. I don't think I took Denzel Washington seriously as Macbeth. Why? I don't know. I don't think. I don't know. It was because did he not do? He didn't do an accent. He just sounded like he just sounded like Denzel Washington reading Macbeth. Well, to be fair, I, guess, I don't think anyone put on an accent. 
fine, that is fair. But Denzel Washington has a very, I don't know, maybe I just keep hearing training day in his delivery of lines, and it was kind of just throwing me off at times. And it was also Denzel Washington that I was looking at. So he's too it, much of a star for you to take seriously as a Shakespearean actor? I think so. I think that might be it. I honestly do think that's what it is. Frances McDermott? I thought she was acceptable as uh, as Lady Macbeth. I actually thought she was pretty good. Um, my I think my only qualm might have been, I don't know. No, maybe there's no qualms. I think it's just like, I think it was honestly, it was really Jensen Washington's performance. That I was just like, kind of just like, I just couldn't. There was just a disconnect for me. And he's getting praised for his performance. And I I actually don't think it was... Like, there was a scene where, like, he's flipping out at the party and stuff, and he's kind of throwing a little tantrum and stuff, and he... Even his body language felt very much training day. Okay, interesting. And that's um, not my favorite Denzel Washington movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe you just... You see his kind of... What he pulls out, you know, his kind of, like, acting things that he does and you recognize it and you're just not amused by it because Maybe. I didn't get training day at all from this. Um, I actually think I enjoyed him slightly better than I did at Francis McDormand because I just oh, felt like her lady Macbeth was not nearly as cu- more as cutthroat as I'd like her to be. I would agree with you on that one. She was not, she was a little, I don't think they played her off as sympathetic by any chance, but, but I think I they think... even tried to in a weird way. You think so? I think I guess when he starts really losing it and she's like embarrassed and stuff, like at least in my interpretation of her body language and her face was her starting like to show that she was regretting it. Oh, interesting. I didn't get that. I actually got more embarrassment and kind of just like when she yelled at the people get out basically. Yeah. I was reading. I didn't read that as like necessary sympathy toward. I think she was kind of tired of him. Yeah, I think that's what they were. I mean, they. I think they were going for it by showing like, oh, look at how embarrassed she is and look how regretful she is of, you know, pushing him to this point because he's fucking lost it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also thought that like he really conveyed kind of losing it very well. Like, I believe that he was paranoid. He I think he really pulled off the paranoia. Now, of course, do I think he was the best person for this? No. And at t- it did take me a second to get, you know, into him playing Macbeth. But by the time he kind of like lost his shit and and also like when he orders the death of Fleance, you know, when he orders the the killing of Macduff's entire household and mm-hmm. those scenes that he plays and he just like, I think he did those scenes really, really well because you're supposed to hate him by then. And I kind of hated him by then. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just couldn't. I just could not separate Denzel Washington as Macbeth. Maybe I just couldn't wrap my head around that for some reason. I don't know why, because I actually I like a lot of Denzel Washington films, but like here it was just felt like jarring, and it it is. And I also want to point this out because I feel like this might be a point of contention for some people, but like I haven't heard anything. Maybe we have gotten past that, but like a black actor playing Macbeth, I'm surprised that there's not a lot of like uproar about that. But you know what? Great. I'm glad that we're past it. I actually, I, I love, like, the mixed-race casting here because, like, you know, like, F, if you would see it in a play, right, like, you give the the role to the best performer. Uh, is this Denzel Washington's first time working with uh, a Coen? Uh, it is his first time working with the Coen brothers, yes. But it is not his first time in a uh, Shakespeare. Yeah, he, didn't he do O? No. No, that was Mackay Piper. 
Yes. Did he do like an actual Shakespeare? Or did he do like yes, a, he did. So he's a modern. Done, oh wait, what? He did Shakespeare in 1993. He was in Much Ado About Nothing. He also, I'm pretty sure, did some on the stage. What is wait? Is that Much Ado About Nothing? Is that like an actual Shakespearean or is it like no, a modern yeah, adaptation? Much Ado About Nothing is a Shakespeare comedy. No, 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 I know, but like the Denzel Washington movie, I've never seen it. But is it like a modern retelling of it, or is it like set in Shakespearean times? No, so yeah, so in the '90s there was this huge thing after Kenneth Branagh made a, I think like a King Lear, Henry something, where they were putting mm-hmm. the text of Shakespeare, but in contemporary settings. That's why Baz Luhrmann's uh, movie came out. They did like Richard the Third with Ian McKellen, where it was like 1940s, and Much Ado About Nothing was one of these films that came out. Um, right. So it was traditional. I think, yeah, I think Much Ado About Nothing is Kenneth Branagh, actually. Okay. I was going to say, but like like Romeo and Juliet then with Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Yeah, I said that. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Does O qualify as that? That was also 90s, wasn't it? I never saw O, so I wouldn't know. I, I also never saw it, but like O was Othello. Yes. I, yeah. yeah. So I guess it you know, does. I, guess. I think it takes place in like a high school or something. It's like yeah. A high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay. All right. Fine. But you know, I think it's also like I give props to an actor who can say a Shakespearean line and say it <clears throat> and say it and say it in a <laughs> the way where we're supposed to get it right because like most people aren't really well versed when it comes to like you know Shakespearean. Uh, the Shakespearean yeah. tongue, right? Like you need the to old, hear it. Old English. Yeah, old English. Right? You need to hear it in order, in a certain way to really get what is going on there. And there's this one scene where he's sitting on his throne and one of his like, you know, loyal servants is there and he's like insulting him and he calls him thou lily libert boy. And the way the, he uh, says it. face and stuff. Yeah, that, that was a good scene. Yeah, because yeah, like he's such a jackass. <laughs> Like, you really feel that he's drunk with power. His delivery of Shakespearean lines and the way that you you get it, right? You get that he's turning into this fucking dipshit who's just, like, gone in his ambition and his power. And he's treating this guy like an asshole. Like, he said right. the lines so perfectly. And yeah, then those, those were good scenes. And also, I mean, who doesn't love a fucking good Shakespeare insult? I mean, come on, thou lily-livered mm-hmm. boy. That's so... This is so good, you know? I know. Well, I mean, you know, Canterbury Tale also had a lot of good insults, right? A lot of that old English stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Uh, Yeah, yeah, no. I like, I preferred Francis McDermott over over Denzel Washington. I don't know why. It's just, it was just the way it was as I was just watching the movie. Now, you tell, now let me tell you who I loved, right? Tell me. I loved Alex Hassel as Ross because he had his waist cinched to the high heavens. His outfits were all on fucking point. <laughs> uh, he was, I mean, what a look. He was, now that is someone who, when you see him on screen, he's just like, yeah, I'm looking at that guy on screen. I don't know. I, I've never seen him in anything else, but like he was, I thought he was good. Uh, all around, my favorite performance though came <clears> from <throat> The Witch. You said you liked Alex Hassel? Yeah, wasn't he Ross? You, yeah, you have seen him before. What have I seen him in? You saw him in Cowboy Bebop. Who was he in Cowboy Bebop? He was the villain. Oh, shit. Was he? Wow. Okay. Well, I take it back. He was good in this role. <laughs> he was role. vicious. Yeah. Uh, he actually, no, I didn't hate vicious. He tried to do whatever he could do with that role, but like, 
Vicious was already such. I remember arguing this. Vicious was already such a poorly developed character to begin with, so it's just like he had nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. No, I thought, yeah, his portrayal is Ross. He also got me, and that was also good, you know, directing and editing, where I thought he was going to kill Fleance, and then he didn't. Uh, he actually oh, saved yeah. him, so that was really well. He nice. couldn't because we know that Banquo will. We know, it, yeah, but still, yeah. it was like the way that they set it up. If if you're if gonna... you let yourself get fooled with the movie and in by the story, um. I will say King Duncan, Brendan Gleeson, fantastic actor. Um, his son, Malcolm, you know, okay for me. I didn't really, like, I wasn't really rooting for Malcolm to overthrow oh, and take the, his the father's. Son? Yeah. Yeah, neither was I. I mean, I, what a I didn't really care. But I thought McDuff was really interesting. And we saw McDuff earlier uh, in 2021 in The Heights. He was in the, in the Heights movie. He played Benny. Oh, so was seeing Benny? him okay. in... Uh, in a Shakespearean role was really nice, and he did a very good job. Yeah, he he was good. He was good. He was also in uh, Black Klansman, and uh, I think he was in. I think he played Dr. Dre in Shay Out of Compton. If you ever oh, saw that okay. movie, I never saw. I it. I think so because that's where also some familiar. So I think that the supporting cast was also pretty good. But you know, this is it's called Macbeth. It's Macbeth's story, and the fact that Denzel just didn't do it for you is kind of disappointing. Well, yeah, but like, I mean, to you, you know how you say it's just like visuals are so important and blah, 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 blah. I mean, honestly, like <laughs> the visuals here did win me over. I, I didn't hate this movie. But hang on. You forgot to mention the best performance of this movie. Catherine Hunter as the witch. Yes, I that absolutely was, now, agree. This I I will I will probably say this, actually. Uh, if the visuals didn't win me over, it was her performance as the witch, which yeah. was phenomenal that was absolutely i mean the way she just contorted her body and then to recite these shakespeare now she recited me shakespeare in a very convincing way and it also felt original and fresh in her performance and uh the camera the 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 camera trickery that cohen did in order to even evoke kind of like this otherworldliness with her was so good like when uh when she's standing on like the water and then you see the other two reflections on the bottom, like it's just like stunning. Absolutely stunning. I loved it. This was which was easily the best part of the movie. I want to watch a whole movie. They they're gonna give her a prequel, I assume, right? One day <laughs> where we get to see like her story. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, Catherine Hunter, this is what fucking real acting is. You know? Mm-hmm. I in that way I would agree with you because Denzel's too much of a star. And like, there's no way that I could ever see him disappear into a role or just mm-hmm. do anything of that magnitude. Whereas she embodied it and she just delivered. She played three fucking roles all in one. Yeah. And you really, I mean, she came off as insane and she was scary and she was creepy. And she's a theater actress. She's She is known for also being a body contortionist. And I think she's one of the only people who have played a male's role in a Shakespearean play on the stage. Uh, I do believe oh. she played the role in King Lear. I'm not, you know, don't quote me on exactly which one it is, but she ha- she's done. She's like a Shakespearean actress, right? She's done yeah. a bunch before. Doesn't do too many movies. It shows. I mean, she was absolutely spectacular on screen. Yeah. And again, like I said, it was just like, it's it, this performance. Uh, we only see it like, like twice, three times, maybe. Uh and talk about like scene stealing absolutely scene stealing uh i mean absolutely you have to be i mean you have to be a fucking top of your game to like be able to let's be real denzel washington great actor i like i didn't hate him as Macbeth, but 
I did a little bit. <laughs> uh, but here, like when she is talking with Macbeth, like she she owns the scene. Yeah. And yeah, it was that was probably the freshest part of the uh uh of Macbeth for me here. Of the tragedy of Macbeth and stuff. No, absolutely. So. And this is just even more how bullshit things like the Academy Awards are because you know she's not even gonna get nominated and she's clearly the best supporting actress in any movie. I can't she, think of a better performance. Whoa, ex- excuse you. Um, She's better well, than Ariana DeBose. I'm sorry. I was going to say, like, it's just like, actually, they might be they might be close here, but Ariana DeBose had a lot more to work with where she didn't, but she was she was great. So maybe she, you don't know. She might get a nomination. She might pull through. I doubt it. Let's see. Let's see how Apple plays his cards because I'm sure Apple's going to be, has Apple had a movie nominated yet for an Oscar? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I didn't watch the Oscars last year. And I, I think, uh, that film Nomadland might've been an Apple TV movie or what? Maybe it was a Hulu or Netflix one. I think it was a Hulu know. actually. Oh, a cool, Hulu release. I think it may be Amazon prime. I don't know, but I don't think it was Apple. Well, all I know is that if the treasure of Macbeth doesn't get a cinematography or a sound design editing thing, or Catherine Hunter doesn't get nominated for an award, then it's all bullshit because those are the top three for me. Sound design, cinematography and Catherine Hunter's performance. I are... see them e- I see this movie easily getting those nominations. I mean, vis- oh, I, I mean wonder. this is just a visually it was visually this is just a visually stunning film. Maybe we should place a bet because I don't think it got those nominations in other of these like Well, the Golden Globes don't matter. But <laughs> I don't even think it got it for like Critics Choice or uh mm. or any of those other ones. I mean, I don't know how well, deep they go, but I know that uh that Bruno Del Bono, the cinematographer, got nominated for American Society of Cinematographers Award. All right, well, there's something. So let's see if he gets that. I do want to say, too, uh, as a cinephile and stuff, most people think I agree with something like auteur theory, you know, where, like, the, the director is king and everybody else is just, you know, there to help him. And as much as I respect the the French back in the day for coming up with that theory, I do think that cinema is a group effort and that even yes. though we're giving credit to Joel Cohen or we're saying that the cinematographer Bruno Del Bono, you know, the credits that roll at the end of the movie, that's that's who made the fucking movie. Those people. Oh, and um, absolutely. And I don't know. I I just felt really implored to say that right now because I feel like some people might not think about that. You know how important every single team member is on the film. And we talk about certain people like the actors and the directors and the writers and whatnot. But. Everyone who worked on this is the reason why it was as stunning as it was. And it's just oh, really worked, impressive. I mean, I've worked on projects where, like, just the executive producer thinks he's the most important person, period, you know? So it's just like, I get it. And it's usually not. Filmmaking is collaborative process. Hey, even if you look at our social media, right? Like, uh, uh, that was a collaborative effort. Nicole filmed her stuff. I had to film some stuff. And I was just like, all right, let's see how we could put this all together and make it work. You know, and that was just a joint effort idea. So even I'm just saying, it's just like when it comes to media production, it is all collaborative. It's very rarely one single person doing it all. Uh, so, yeah, no, I agree with you. And I I don't I I don't think anyone's going to be shocked when I say this, but I don't know names of, you know, the DPs. I don't know the names of uh, the lighting geek crew and stuff. I only really know the director's name, but that's just. That's just um, Hollywood marketing, right? I I fall victim to that game that they play, the name game. Yeah. But I I 
I, I that's not to say that I don't I obviously I have a respect for them because like I I understand like you know it's it's a collaborative process it's not just one person absolutely um so yeah and that's also why awards are bullshit so but yeah so well what are you talking about the awards are giving it to those people the big names we remember obviously best director but like they do have best lighting best sound design best uh, editing they have best cinematography but i don't i don't remember the last time they gave an award for best lighting or best grips or yeah those are usually or... i don't think they i actually don't think those awards go out during the actual show they actually get like handed out during the red carpet oh when nobody cares <laughs> when nobody cares <laughs> oh my god but they are but they are there you know that's that's hilarious well uh, those are some of our thoughts on the tragedy of macbeth uh, are you a Shakespeare fan? Have you seen any of these film adaptations? Maybe we didn't cover one that you think we should have covered. Let us know your thoughts. Ways you can let us know your thoughts. Email us, remakes, reboots, and revivals at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at remakes, reboots, revivals. We're at Twitter at remakes podcast. You can find us on facebook.com slash remakes, reboots, revivals. We're also on YouTube. Search for remakes, reboots, revivals. And if you call us, we have a phone number that you could call and share your thoughts and let your voice be heard and maybe even played on one of our episodes. And if you call this number, that's where you can leave us a message. <laughs> that number is 862-248-2326. 862-248-2326. And uh, now I just want to look up Shakespeare insults because they're just so fucking fantastic. Oh, I'm sure you'll get plenty. They are good. Out of my sight, thou dost infect my eyes. That's from Richard III. Yeah. Have you read any Shakespearean sonnets? Because I had to do that also in high school. Yeah. No, I love his sonnets. I used to know a sonnet by heart because there's one that oh. is so different from the rest. And it's, yeah. Uh, should I try and Should I try and remember it right now? Or should we uh, bid everyone adieu? That's up to you. Those lips that love's own hands did make breathe forth the sound that said, I hate. And when she saw my languished state, straight to my heart did mercy come, charting the tongue that ever sweet was used in giving gentle doom and taught it thus anew to greet. That much I remember. And then the second part I, I still got to work on. So. Clap, clap, clap. Thank you. I That's still better than, you know. And Rolando can t testify to the fact that I had my eyes closed when I was saying that. So I was literally doing it from my memory. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Shakespeare, guys, what fun. And until next time, stay, stay an original. original.